Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Dave, you're going to have to change the slides for some reason. This isn't working. Or maybe try closing that out, and, and we'll, we'll, try, we'll just start all over. But I can, there we go. Uh, go ahead and close that out, though, if you don't mind, and, and reopen it. Because if I can do the slides, I would love to. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you, to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience. Which is something I need right now with this iPad. Hmm. Give me just one second. I got a transition here. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk. To walk in what way? In a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What calling is that that we have been called to? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How does Paul describe himself in this first verse? As a what? A prisoner. A prisoner of who? A prisoner of the Lord. The word prisoner implies a captive, one who is controlled by or who is under the, the authority of someone else. Paul is saying, I am a prisoner or I am a captive, if you will, to the Lord. And as a prisoner of the Lord or as one who is under the authority of the Lord, one who is being led by or controlled by the Lord, how does, he do, how does the Lord do that? How is it that we are a... What does it mean to be a prisoner of the Lord? And how is it that we are under His authority? Paul tells us in the book of Romans that there are things that he doesn't want to do that he finds himself doing. You ever find yourself in that position? There are things that he wishes he could do that he, or the things that he wants to do that he doesn't do. In other words, there are times when he knows what the right thing is and sometimes he doesn't do the right thing and sometimes he does the wrong thing. And if you get to the end of Romans 7, he makes a statement where he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death. That word deliver means who will reconcile, who will remove me or who will cut away the power of this body that I live in. Who will be able to give me the victory over the power of my flesh. The usage of the word, oh wretched man that I am, implies that Paul has guilt for the way he lives. When Paul does the right thing, he has peace. When Paul does the wrong thing, he has that wretchedness that he feels. So Paul is saying, he actually specifically says that his flesh is at war with the Spirit of God that is in him. And sometimes the flesh wins out. And when it does, Paul feels like a wretched man. 
Have you ever felt that way? You ever said what you shouldn't, didn't say what you should have? Do you ever sometimes wish you were more friendly than you are? Do you ever sometimes wish that you were more outgoing than you were? Do you ever find yourself making excuses for why you don't do the things you should do, but deep down inside you have this uneasiness because you know it's not right? Do you ever find yourself saying and doing things that you know you should not do, and you wish you could not do those things, so you keep making excuses for why you do them, to justify them, but there's no justification that exists that will take away the wretchedness that you feel in your heart. Do you know why that is? Because you are saved by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are filled with the Spirit of God. God's presence is with you, and because God's presence is with you, and because He loves you, He does not want you to experience the wretchedness that comes from you obeying the desires of your flesh. But, are we not all guilty? Are we not all guilty of finding ourselves a prisoner to our flesh? Well, Paul flips the script here in Ephesians, and he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Now, there were times in Paul's life when he was in prison for the Lord, quite literally. This statement here is implying the authority that God has over him. If you are a prisoner, you go out to the yard and you walk when you're told to go out to the yard and walk. You eat when you're told to eat. You shower when you're told to shower. You sleep when you're told to sleep. You go in when they tell you to go in, and you get out when they tell you that you get out. Now, that offended some people. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I'm free. And that might be part of our problem. We don't deal well with being under authority. We listen to our parents as long as our parents tell us what we want to hear. Now, before anybody jumps up and screams amen, you do the same thing as, as adults. You like what's being said to you as long as it's what you want to hear. But when it crosses over into speaking into correction, you don't like it anymore. I'll do what I want. What Paul shows us here is that as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a freedom that the world does not know. And the reason we have that freedom is because we are under the authority of the Lord. And being one who is under the authority of the Lord, is it not the will of God that we experience His peace and His joy and His happiness? And in order for us to be able to experience those things, we have to walk in such a way or live in such a way. I thought that was a mouse and it scared me to death. There, we have a rogue toy got loose up here. Fear not, there are no mice in the church house. <laughs> People watching online, man, I should have went this morning. I should have braved the rain and come. It's excitement when I'm not there. We are told, Paul says, I urge you to walk or to live out, to do, to go and, and, and say and do the things. 
the Lord would lead us to do. And how should we walk in a manner worthy of the, of the calling to which you have been called? What does this mean? A, a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Who is our chief? Who is our example? Is it not Christ? In the book of Philippians chapter 2, Paul says that Jesus considered it not wrong to be considered equal with God because he was God. He is God. But even though he was equal with God, he made himself, he lowered himself. I mean, he made himself of lower stature by becoming a human being like you and I. And then he went even further and took on himself the form of a servant. And not just a servant, but he made himself subservient to death itself. In other words, the God who created everything with simply saying it, now lays down his life and dies in a, as a prisoner. In doing this, he set for us an example of how we should live our lives. If you were God and someone cursed you, what would you do? You remember a while back in a message, I think this like really bothered some people. I, I listened to an old man one time, a preacher, and he said, babies are cute and they're so cuddly. And they're so beautiful, and they're so sweet. Could you imagine if a baby had the strength of a grown man, and you didn't give them their bottle or their toy or their pacifier? What would they do? <laughs> what would they do? What would you do if you had the power of God? when you perceived that you had been offended, that someone had wronged you, what would you do? Now, before you give me that line of, I would love them and forgive them, well, then why didn't you do that last week when you didn't have that power? Paul is saying to us that we in the manner with which Jesus exemplified for us, ought to live. When Jesus was lied about, what did he do? When Jesus was talked about, what did he do? When Jesus was persecuted, what did he do? When Jesus was hauled before the authorities and falsely accused, what did he do? When Jesus was questioned and asked to give an account for his actions, what did he do? When Jesus was led away from Pilate's hall to be scourged, what did he do? When Jesus was tied to the whipping post and lashed with the cat of nine tails, bits of glass, bone, steel fragments, Braided into a whip. 
wrapped around his abdomen, his back, until the bits of metal and bone and glass dug into the floor. What did he do? What did he do? They led him away from there and paraded him naked through the city and forced him to carry his own cross. What did he do? Spikes were driven through his wrists and through his feet, and he was hung unceremoniously in front of all public. What did he do? You know what he said? There were two statements recorded. One, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Two, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I don't think any of us can fathom what it was like for Jesus to be hanging on the cross and what he was feeling, what he was, what he was experiencing at that time. But even in a situation such as that, he never opened his mouth. But we will roll words out of our mouths if someone looks at us the wrong way. If we perceive that someone has wronged us, do you think that maybe we imprison ourselves with our own words sometimes? When we could be setting ourselves free with our words. But now hold on, I'm not becoming one of those guys. What I mean by that is this. If Jesus is literally bleeding out on the cross, he is physically exhausted, he is emotionally exhausted, he is psychologically exhausted, he is spiritually exhausted, if you can imagine what I mean by that. He is saying, Father, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever been forsaken by the Father? No, he was. Every single fiber of his being was burning and he says father forgive them for they know not what they do as much pain as he was enduring as much shame and guilt or whatever you want to call it was being dumped upon him when he opened his mouth what he said was Father, bless these people who are doing me wrong. But we have left a trail of tears across the county, across our lifetime of idle words that we have spoken. Now, I know Grandma don't want you to cuss. And all of us in this room would have to agree that sometimes our mouth has gotten the better of us. Amen. But idle words does not imply cuss words. Do you know what it means for a car to idle? It means it's just sitting still, but it's running. It's sitting still, but it's running. It's called a holding pattern. Chris, am I saying that right? Holding pattern? Where the plane is in a static state, it's just moving along, cruising. It's in a holding pattern, same altitude, it's not deviating. Speed, altitude, all the same. Sometimes God puts you in a holding pattern. 
Like, for instance, let's do a, let's do a little quick analogy this morning. Um, or an illustration, I mean. I'm getting my words all mixed up. See, I should be not speaking so much. Braden has offended me. All right, he's offended me. Okay. Braden, you have offended me. God, did you hear that? Braden offended me. Are you going to kill him? Are you going to get him? He offended me three days later. God, Braden offended me three days ago. Three months go by. Braden offended me three months ago. We're in a holding pattern. God's not doing anything. Now, three months have passed. What have I said about Braden? What have I said about him in that three months? And who have I said it to? How much damage have I done to myself thinking I'm damaging him? Now, here's a better one. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, another one, not a better one. I didn't mean that. Here's another one. Okay, <clears throat> Braden has just offended me. Braden, you listen here, buddy. You're not going to offend me and get away with it. I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel. They're both equally wrong. The problem is not with Braden. The problem is with me. Hi, it's me. I'm the one with the problem, not him. Because I've been called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which I have been called. And Jesus, when he was offended, did not return fire, nor did he hold a grudge. So this morning, I want to call you out on two things. I want to call you out on running your mouth when you shouldn't run your mouth. You know you do it. Two, I want to call you out on holding grudges. Holding grudges. Do you have any idea the wretchedness that you feel because of both of those things? Have you ever ran somebody down and felt good about it? Oh, now don't give me that. Well, it felt good in the moment. Talking about, you know what I'm talking about. And do you really feel good holding on to a grudge? Holding something against someone? Are you really happy? Now next week we'll continue this topic and we're going to talk about our subject matter in Numbers 13. Remember when the spies go into the land and they say, oh, 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 there's no way we can go in and do this. There's big people there. We can't overcome these giants. Joshua and Caleb come back and say, no, God said we can, so let's go do it. How long do they wander in the wilderness? Forty years. Why did they wander in the wilderness for 40 years? Because of the negative report that came in. Right? Partly because of that. So that means that Joshua and Caleb had to suffer in the wilderness for 40 years. Wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of the sin of the other spies and the people. The 
But you never hear Joshua or Caleb complain, do you? They endure it. They walked worthy of the manner to which they had been called. Do you think you could walk for 40 years with an offense that had happened to you and no one ever said they were sorry for it? Do you think they would make you better or bitter? Do you think bitterness is healing you and helping you? Or do you think bitterness is hurting you and killing you? Why does Paul say to us to walk worthy of the manner of the calling to which we've been called? Why does he tell us to do that? Because he loves us? One. And he wants us to experience the peace that comes from walking in the truth of the Lord. Do you realize that it is the desire of God for you and I to have peace in our lives? He wants us to have peace. Peace does not mean everything is as we want it to be, but we have peace even in the process of him establishing peace, right? It is the will of God that there be peace, that there be unity, that there not be division and animosity. If the presence of the Lord brings freedom, then that means that there must be the absence of the contentions that would bring about enslavement. Is there peace in your life? Or is there contention on every side? Is there turmoil in your marriage, your, 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 your family, your finances, your job, your, your relationship with people in the community? Is there turmoil and tension or is there peace? Have you ever had tension at your job? Did you like it? You ever had tension in your marriage? Don't you love it? You ever had tension between you and the kids or the kids are acting all stupid and they're getting crazy and it's causing you to lose sleep at night because of it and you want it to be fixed, but they, you can't fix them? Have you ever run around when you shouldn't be running around? Have you ever gotten drunk when you shouldn't gotten drunk? Have you ever brought about things in your own life that brought about contention? and took away the peace that you had? Of course. Don't you want peace? Aren't you tired of all the drama? Aren't you just sick of all the arguing and fighting? Aren't you tired of kindergarten lessons on, well, don't say this and don't do Don't you get tired of it? Don't you just want peace? Well, here's how you have peace in your life. You walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You are not free to do and say what you want. You are a prisoner of the Lord. And when you speak outside the confines of his will, you are now operating outside the boundaries. There will be no peace there. You've got to rein it back in. What if I told you it's not everybody else? It's you. You're the only one that can dictate your happiness or your lack thereof. 
Do external circumstances cause us trouble? Yes, but if you are a child of God, who takes care of you? Who provides for you? Who is your all in all? Who do you trust in? So watch what you say. Watch your words. Watch your words. Don't respond to evil with evil. You're a child of God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have the power to respond positively when someone acts negatively towards you. Don't compound it. Be like those magnets that oppose. When someone comes at you with a instead of you going, oh yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. You go, no, 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 no. I'm not going to participate in that. I'm going to love you. And I'm going to bless you instead of cursing you. Does that make any sense at all? Any sense at all?